Thanks for listening to the 242 Young Adults Podcast with Pastor Justin Corkum. Our prayer is that this message will be an encouragement to your life in Christ. Well, we're going to be continuing our series, Forgotten God. The church today, it seems to be absent uh, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We talk about Jesus, we talk about God, but we forget about the third person in the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. And, And the Holy Spirit's role for, for us as believers in our walks with Christ. And so the first week, we talked about why we need the Holy Spirit. And the second week, we talked about why we want the Holy Spirit. Last service, when we got together, we took time to talk about why we actually desire the Holy Spirit. And we talked about Simon the sorcerer and, and the moment where he sees the Holy Spirit uh, using Philip. And then when uh, Peter and John come and they share... And, and lay their hands on people, and they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, Simon wanted to purchase that power. And we talked about wrong reasons for why we want the Holy Spirit, and, and one of them was attention. We seek the Holy Spirit because we want to have people looking at us, just like Simon wanted the attention. He wanted to get the crowd's attention again because he had lost it to Philip because Philip was being used by the Holy Spirit. We talked about miracle hunting and how Simon was chasing after Philip, the person who was performing the miracles, he wasn't chasing after the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about the right reasons that we should desire to see the Holy Spirit in our lives. The first reason was to be led by him, not to lead or harness. You know, we've, we've turned the power of the Holy Spirit into this force that we harness as a believer, but it's not. He's a person. And we talked about how really it's, it's, we should be wanting to be led by the Holy Spirit, not to lead the Holy Spirit. And, and the last thing we talked about was to edify the church. And I, we took some time and we just, we looked at, at each and every single person that was here last week. And we're a little low in number this week, but you can still do the same thing and look around at each other and say, am I seeking more of the Holy Spirit for the sake of the people in this room, for the sake of, of the people God has placed in my life? Because a lot of times we, we can seek the Holy Spirit for the wrong reasons. But one of the primary reasons of the Holy Spirit is to edify the church, to edify the people that God has placed in your life. And so tonight, I really want to take some time and focus on real relationship with the Holy Spirit. Real relationship with the Holy Spirit. Do each of you know how God views you right now, this evening? Do you truly understand how the creator of the universe sees you. In Galatians 4, Paul writes, And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Think about that. Think about the relationship that God has equipped us with, that God has provided us with, that we have the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, the moment we accept Christ, that the Holy Spirit within us, right, the Spirit of His Son, is prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And I've told this story about uh, when I was in Israel, I think I talked about it last, uh, a couple weeks ago, where the, the young girl, she was with her dad, 
and she, her dad went to go get her more ice cream. She thought that he left her, and she started screaming out, Abba, 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 because we were in Israel, and people speak Hebrew in Israel. And so at that moment, I had this, wow, what a picture of what God desires for me in regards to relationship with him. And the Holy Spirit within me is the one that is prompting me to cry out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit within me is the one who is drawing me to God so that I could have that kind of relationship with him, that I could cry out, because Abba is literally translated daddy. Like, think about that. Think about just how that implies. Think about how that implies for you. And in Galatians, Paul's really trying to communicate that we're adopted as children. And as God's children, we're his heirs. And it really plays back, if you guys weren't with us during the time that we went through uh, understanding our covenant rights, right? We went into the idea of an inheritance and the promises of God's scripture. As an heir, you have an inheritance. And that inheritance is found in the word of God. And we're going to talk a lot about uh, even just the idea of uh, of the inheritance, what we're going to talk about tonight really falls in line with that in regards to the Holy Spirit and, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we're going to talk about real relationship. And so if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, um, or if you just want to follow along, starting in verse 23, it says, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, right? If any of you wants to be my follower, we're doing a series on, on Wednesday nights called Not a Fan. Uh, and it's, it's talking about how God doesn't desire fans. God doesn't desire people who just kind of, I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm a Denver Bronco fan, all right? So, you know, every Sunday, yo, we had a great game. Like, we, they don't know who I am. They don't care about me at all. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm, oh, man, we did great. We did this. Oh, man, we did terrible. We but I have some sort of connection with them. Now, let me tell you something, though. If somebody held me at gunpoint and said, say the Patriots are the best team in the universe, I'd be shouting, the Patriots are the best team in the universe from the rooftops. Because I, I'm just a fan of the Denver Broncos. And so with that concept in mind, the whole series is about how we as the church, there's a lot of people who are just fans of God. They're fans of Jesus Christ, but are they really fully devoted followers? And so Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says, If any of you wants to be my follower, this is relating to deep relationship. This is in regards to deep relationship with the Holy Spirit. When we think about that, does it cause us, she's a mess tonight. <laughs> when we think about that, does it cause us to question, okay, where do I stand? Because that's an important question to ask. Am I a fan or am I a follower? Jesus said, if any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the world, but are yourself lost and destroyed? 
If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he turns, uh, when he returns rather, in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. So I want to talk about what it means to take up your cross. Because I'll tell you one thing. The cross didn't mean the same thing then as what it means today. Because back then, the cross, it it signified death. It signified torture. It signified pain and anguish. The only thing the cross was associated with was crucifixion. Its only association, its only purpose was death. Taking up your cross wasn't a journey. It wasn't you just take up your cross, you go down this way, then when you're finished with taking up your cross, you can turn around and you can come back. It was a one-way ticket to death. But how many know what it means today? The cross today is a symbol of hope. The cross today is a symbol of salvation. The cross today is a symbol of love. And I love that. How many know that we serve a God who can take death, a symbol of death, and turn it into a symbol of life? We can take, uh, 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 he can take darkness, right? We were once in, in darkness, we were once dead, but he can now turn us into life, into light. We serve a God who can turn any situation around. Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross. This suggests that you can't possibly take up your cross if you don't deny yourself. You can't possibly take up your cross if you don't deny yourself. And you could ask, well, why? Why do I need to deny myself in order to take up my cross? Right? Well, why did Jesus have to deny himself to take up the cross? Right? Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22... In verse 44, it says, Jesus says himself, if it's possible, may this cup pass from me. Jesus had a moment where he said, if if we can do this another way, can we? But, But not what I want, right? Not my will, but your will be done. He had to deny himself in order to take up his cross. And why did he do it? He did it for love. For each and every single one of you, he did it because of his love for you. That he denied himself so that he could have relationship with you. You can't take up your cross. You can't sacrifice it all if you don't love. And it all comes down to relationship Taking up your cross means loving God so much that we are willing to take the one-way ticket that travels the opposite way of the world. God's calling us to a love that calls us to be radical. A radical, crazy love. A a love that, that we won't back down when adversity comes. That we won't back down when things get difficult. A love that's so strong it isn't wavered by popular opinion. It isn't wavered by acceptance. It isn't 
uh, wavered by the latest trend. It's a love that's not ashamed of God, but proud of who you serve. And you might be saying, what does it have to do with the Holy Spirit? I mean, we're, we're in the middle of a Holy Spirit series. Um, and really from this passage, I just see three, three aspects of real relationship in this passage. And we're going to talk about them uh, tonight. And the first is that real relationship is daily. Verse 23, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross daily and follow me. How many know relationship is daily? Day by day by day. And, and each of us have different people in our lives, different types of relationships in our life. And I, and I think of, you know, I was just, and I, if I can be transparent, I was just talking with Aaron before service tonight. Things have been really crazy, um, just with ministry and, and just things going on right now. Um, and I miss my wife. I, I see her. I see her a lot. I see her every day. Uh, but I'm, it's been so busy that right now I, I miss her. Like even though, I, even though I'm around her. And, and get this, I'm still with her every single day. So, so get this idea uh, of relationship now that I'm still with her day by day but there's still more of a longing for her. I want something deeper. And how many Christians are content with a Sunday morning, hour and a half, quick time, conversation, worship, prayer, word, out of there with God? If I can't, if I can't be satisfied, right? If I'm, if I'm left wanting more, right? If I'm wanting more a deeper relationship, if I want to spend more time with my wife and I see her every single day, why on earth would I be okay with just filling up on God for one day and then doing, doing my thing for the, for the next six days? And then, oh, oh, Sunday morning, let me go get my fill. It, it's not relationship. And r- real relationship is daily. It's, it's a daily investment of love. And that's what we've got to come to a recognition of, is that it's about every single day surrendering what we want for the other. Why? Because of love. And so, when you look at surrendering our will daily, you know, there's a, has anybody ever said, you know, I'm just really seeking what God's will for my life is? How many have said that? At one point in time, raise your hand. Let's see it. Let's see it. Just seeking what God's will. I've said it. I'm just seeking what God's will for my life is. And as I was just reading through, this is a point that Francis Chan makes in his book. We've all asked that question, but is it the right question? God, what, what's your will for my life? Because I've seen, I've had friends who have been completely paralyzed by fear of making the wrong decision because they're thinking about their entire life and the will of God for their entire life 
and they're saying, oh my gosh, I, I, I don't know if I can move forward here, or if I can do this, because what if I do this and it's not what God wants me to do? And, and they're stuck in this paralyzed like, version of, of, of God's will. And they can't move anywhere because they're afraid to mess it up. Another, I guess, viewpoint would be that that statement kind of places God's will sort of over there. What's God's will for my life, right? My, what's, what's coming up? What's, like, what's God's will for, for the future? What's God's will for, for what's coming up in my life? And, and I think a, re, a result of that is it's easier to commit to finding God's will someday than it is to commit to finding his will this day, right now. God, what's your will for my life down the road? What's your will for what's going on later? And what happens is every single day, I think it's Shia LaBeouf right now. Yesterday you said tomorrow, right? Do it. Just do it. Yesterday you said tomorrow. We always think, well, we'll just later on, tomorrow, tomorrow. God, what, what do you want me to do next? What do, you, well, what do you want me to do right now? That's the question that we should be asking is, God, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? What is your will for today? Because real relationship is daily. Francis Chan says, dwelling on God's plan for the future often excuses us from faithful and sacrificial living now. It tends to create a safe zone of sorts where we can sit around and have spiritual, quote-unquote, conversations about God or what God might have, quote-unquote, planned for our lives. Thinking, questioning, and talking can take the place of letting the Spirit affect our immediate actions in radical ways. I want to read that last part. Thinking, questioning, and talking can take the place of letting the Spirit affect our immediate actions. I don't want to be a group that just thinks about God. I don't want to be a group that just talks about God. I don't want to be a group that just questions things about God and we're not operating and acting out what God has done in our own hearts and in our lives. There's got to be an action. There's got to be right a proof of, of your faith. We can sit around, and that's the thing, when we talk about God's will, when we talk about what he has for us, we can get so wrapped up in talking about it that it almost kind of gives you a false sense of relationship, a false sense of security in your relationship because, well, you know, I talk about God like eight hours of the day. But what are you doing for God eight hours of the day? Action. God's called us to action. A response of love, right? I could, I mean, I could talk about how much I like my wife. I, I mean, I could, I can, I can think about her, you know, in my mind. I, I, I can even question if, if anybody could love someone as much as I love my wife. But if I don't show her that I love her, what is it? What's the point? There's no point. Action. It's all about action. Can people see through the way that you live that you are 
in love with God. Can people see that? Because there should be actions that prove that your faith is genuine. So begin asking God each day, who am I supposed to reach today? Right? Because that's what we're here for. The Jewish people believe that relationship with God, it wasn't this, it wasn't vertical, you know, that they really believed that relationship with God was horizontal. It was how you loved people. And as you loved people, you were expressing love to God, the way that you loved people around you. What a concept. John, right, we talked about this not too long ago. John supports that. He says, how can you love God who you don't see How can you claim to love God who you can't see when you don't love people around you that you can see? If you can't love people that are around you, if you can't love the people that God's placed in your life, then how in the world, how in the heck are you going to love him? How does this grow our relationship with the Holy Spirit? How does surrendering our will daily, how's all this that we just talked about, How does this grow our relationship with the Holy Spirit? It's clear that the Holy Spirit takes residence in our heart at the moment of salvation, right? Romans 8, 9 says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, right, the Holy Spirit, he does not belong to Christ. So the moment you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, at the moment of salvation, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. If you've accepted Christ, then the Holy Spirit takes residence within you. Think about that. I mean, really think about that. The creator of the universe is somehow residing in us. That in some way we can share in his glory. Does that blow your mind? That the Holy Spirit can reside in us. What is that? It's it's crazy. There's so many privileges, so many impossibilities that happen on a daily basis with God. And sometimes we look right over them. The Holy Spirit lives in us. It's clear that the Holy Spirit gives us confident intimacy with God. Right, Galatians 4, 6, he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Romans eight fifteen to 17, instead you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share his glory, we must share his suffering. And this is, this is what's going to lead us to our second point. Real relationship is daily. But recognize that 
the Spirit prompts us to call him our Father. The Spirit affirms that we are his, but if we share in his glory, we must share in his suffering. And, and it comes to the point of sacrifice. And that's where the rubber hits the road, right? That's where, like, things start getting tough because now it's going to start invading on what I want. Now it's going to start calling me to, to do something greater than, than just what I want. It's going to call me to sacrifice. It's going to call me to, to give instead of to consume or to take. Sacrifice, though, results in intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And, and we often could take this in a very light manner and say, well, I'll just give up, I can give up Facebook for Jesus, you know. Uh, you know, what a sacrifice. But Paul's not talking about that kind of sacrifice in Romans. He's talking about a group of people that have been beaten for their faith, that have been flogged, that have been persecuted. Some have been martyred. He's talking about radical faith. Radical faith. A faith that moves you to action. A faith that causes a radical surrender to Christ. And when we look at that idea of surrender, it's what leads to our second point, that real relationships can be hindered by barriers. Verse 24 of Luke 9 says, If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. The root of an unhealthy relationship is always selfishness. Uh, when me and Steph do premarital counseling, I think every single week, and you guys would testify to that, every single week we tell the couples that we counsel that they are to always put their spouse, the needs of their spouse, before their own needs. Because if, if the husband is putting the wife's needs before his own, and the wife is putting her husband's, her husband's needs before hers, then each of them will be meeting each other's needs. And when you get your focus off of yourself and on to the other, right? Because what, why are you doing that? Because you value the other person more than you value yourself. And as you, and, and honestly, it's the same thing with this Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, and this is, this is what we've got to get, the Holy Spirit wants the best for us. The Holy Spirit wants to see you walking in complete victory, walking in everything that God has for you. That's what the Holy Spirit wants. But as we, but we can get in the way because we want to do what we want. We don't want what the Holy Spirit has for us at times. We don't want what God has, the best for us. We want to do what we think is the best. We want to do what satisfies us right here, right now. And that's the temptation that we face. But as you seek to please him, he can use you to your fullest potential. But the problem is when we're afraid of what the Holy Spirit wants for us. Ever been afraid? I mean, honest, I've been afraid. Ever been afraid of what the Holy Spirit might want for you? Why? It's because it's going to stretch you to do something that might be really huge 
for you. It might cause you to take a step. You know, I was always, anybody ever terrified to be called to like Africa or something? Like if, as a missionary? I'm not, I'm not even joking. Like, I remember like, I remember, <laughs> I remember praying like, I was young though, so this makes it all right. But I remember, I remember praying. I'm like, God, you know, I just love you so much. Just don't call me to Africa. Like, don't call me to like, like some crazy nation or place way out in the middle of no, like I don't, just like help me be around here what I know with things I'm comfortable with. <laughs> and that's, that's what it comes down to. And I kind of just jumped there, but the fear of surrender, right? We're going to talk about three things that we fear surrendering. And the first one is our comfort. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as our comforter, right? And we see that in Scripture. The disciples, when they were persecuted, afterward, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts 4. When Stephen was stoned, it says, being filled with the Spirit, he saw heaven open in Acts 7. When their faith was being ridiculed, they stood up in boldness. When hardship was experienced, you see the Holy Spirit show up in some powerful ways, And if the Holy Spirit is our comforter, why would we need him if we're comfortable? Why, I mean, why would we need the comforter if we're already comfortable? If we're not stepping out in any sort of way that's, that's making us uncomfortable. Francis Chan tells the story about a missionary, uh, this is back in 2007. There's a story of a, uh, a bunch of missionaries who were held hostage by uh, the Taliban in Afghanistan. And the Taliban had executed two of the missionaries before the rest of them were released. And Francis Chan had an opportunity to sit down with one of the missionaries, and he was told the horror stories of captivity, of, of the things that they had experienced while they were imprisoned and held hostage. They had divided a Bible among themselves as they were all separated, um, and they would cling to that portion of, uh, of text that they had, and they had it hidden, uh, and, and it was their most prized possession. It was the thing that got them through. Chan says the most profound statement that he heard the man say was that when they gathered together, they would ask each other, don't you wish we were still there? Because they said that they had experienced an intimacy with God in that sacrifice, in that moment of standing for their faith, in that moment of not backing down, in that moment of radical surrender that they had not been able to replicate in their comfort. Don't you wish we were still there? That blows my mind. I mean, to think about people who had experienced that much hardship, but there was such a grace from the Holy Spirit. There was such a presence, an intimacy with God in those moments 
that they, they longed for, for that because of how close they were to God. And I'm not saying that God's calling every single person in here to, to be a martyr, or to be imprisoned, or be held hostage. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is, are we afraid of surrendering our comfort? Are we afraid of going out of our way and putting ourselves in uncomfortable positions in order to be used by God? I mean, we heard the story that my wife uh, shared uh, the first service that we had when we started this series about the woman who was seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit. She was seeking the empowerment of the Spirit and she sought it for a whole year and it wasn't until she was stepping out in faith, getting ready to put herself out there and to share with somebody that she knew and she was terrified that at that moment the Holy Spirit hit her and she was baptized in the Holy Spirit and she was empowered to witness. It's in those uncomfortable moments that God shows up. It's in those uncomfortable moments that he reveals his spirit in a powerful way. Are we afraid of surrendering our comfort? Let me tell you, we could begin taking even small uncomfortable steps. Think about just inviting someone to church. Something, that's probably the easiest thing to do just to invite someone to church but how many people in the church today are terrified of even just inviting somebody to come how about sharing your faith with someone actually opening your mouth about what God is doing in your life with another individual walking in boldness to physically pray for an individual it's funny sometimes when I ask people to pray can, can I pray for you and they'll go, absolutely, absolutely, that'd be great. And they say, okay, let's pray. And they're like, wait a second, now? Like right here? And you're like, well, yeah, I just, I just asked if I could pray for you. But they're like thinking, no, well, when you go home and you like, you know. You... People have such a, a horrible concept of prayer. Like it's this weak little like, God, I'm just thinking of this person. Help him, Jesus. Like, <laughs> People don't understand the power of prayer. And so when I say, can I pray for you? I believe at that moment and at that time that God is going to show up in a miraculous way and whatever I'm lifting up before God is going to be taken care of because the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Do we carry that mentality everywhere that we go? Because I believe in the power of prayer. And you better believe I'm not just going to wait until I get in my car and say some sissy prayer to Jesus about how to get you healed or something like that. I'm going to pray right there. And then. When you uh, endure ridicule for the gospel, how many have ever been persecuted in that way? Like just torn apart because you believe in Jesus. Does it happen? Let me tell you, it should be happening. It should be happening. Let me tell you, if that's the only, like, that's the only persecution that I feel like we can experience sometimes in America is just being ridiculed by people around us. The more that you step out and speak about your faith in Christ, the more you're going to have people oppose you. And it's all right. Operate in gentleness and love and respect. That's what God has called us to. But people are going to notice a difference. And most of the time, they're not going to be quiet. But that's all right. You continue to love them and to show the love of Christ to them. Because that's what it's all about. 
And I'll tell you what the Holy Spirit's not about. The Holy Spirit's, this is not about spiritualizing your life. Because there's a lot of people that just want to add Jesus to their life. I just, well, I just, you know, I, I was at the dentist the other day. And just, uh, man, the hygienist went to town. Ugh, I was in pain. I was teary-eyed. I was crying. It was emotional. No, nah, I was just in pain. That's all. But as I'm sitting there, I realize, and she's talking, you know. Ever hear somebody who just kind of talks about, like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, Jesus, I do the Sunday thing. That's great. And, and it really is like basketball practice or, or my girls are in ballet and, and I do church on Sunday. It's like it's just a part of your life. It's just something that you do. But it's not who you are. And that's the difference. If you seek the Holy Spirit just for, for something, you know, it's something that you do. It's for my Sunday thing. Forget it. You're missing it. Because this is about being used by God. This is about living in relationship daily before God. second thing that we can fear is surrendering the noise. Verse 25 says, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? And i got to tell you, the enemy has used material gain in America as his number one device of distraction in the church. If we weren't blessed with material gain, with Television, phone, laptops, Xbox, PlayStation, movies, books, shopping, etc., 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 etc. I probably would be a little less distracted. I've at one point been carrying a conversation with my wife, playing with my son, texting someone on the phone, and watching TV. All at the same time. And we've lost, we've lost the art of focus. We've lost... We've lost the art of being able to sit down and do one thing and one thing alone. I think about how it affects our relationship with God, our prayer life, our time in God's Word, our time in worship. Five minutes into your prayer time, you already have 15 notifications. I got to check them. I can't leave them. I got to check it. And you're scrolling through your phone. If you're like me, I use my phone for music. So I put some worship music on. And it's like I'm praying. And like two seconds in, it's like phone call. Hello, like conversation. Totally breaks everything. Then you're like, all right, let me get it back. Text. Text. And it's bling, bling, And you're like, you can't focus. And <laughs> it drives me crazy. But how, I mean, you guys, I know that, but you guys, y'all are smiling at me right now that you totally know what I'm talking about. That we've allowed the noise of, uh, of our world to get so loud that it's, it's taking us, it's distracting us from a pursuit of God. And I think about like monks and how they, they separate like, and you know, I'm not all about like, you know, taking yourself completely out of the world because then what good are you to the world? But the idea of separating in quiet meditation on the things of God. Something that, man, I don't think any of us, I mean, how many have conversations now without, how many have had a, a good conversation where you have not been interrupted by a phone? 
in some manner. I mean, I can't even think, I can't even think of the last conversation, you know? Our lack of intimacy, this is a quote again by Francis Chan. For those, we are going through a um, very rough rendition of a series from Ch- Francis Chan's book, Forgotten God. Um, but he says, Our lack of intimacy is often due to our refusal to unplug and shut off communication from all others so we can be alone with him. And he talks about Jesus. Well, Jesus never had to worry about email or voicemail or texts or any type of other mail. But Jesus understood what it was like to have thousands of people seeking his attention. And Jesus still made it a priority to separate himself from all of those crowds and to spend time with God. And I think that's what it comes down to is making our relationship priority. Because the things that are a priority in your life are going to get your attention. The question is, what are the things that take priority in your life? And that's something we can all ask ourselves. What are the things that take priority in my life? Because if we want relationship with God, it has to be a priority. I can't be married to Steph. You can't have any type of relationship. It doesn't even have to be a marriage relationship. You can't have any type of relationship, uh, successfully at least, if there isn't priority involved. If it's not important enough to you. Because the moment that something's not your priority, what you're really doing is you're placing really, you, you value your needs higher than than the other person. And that's, that's the issue. And that's where you see it comes back, again, to selfishness. And that's where Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. You can't take up your cross. You can't live a sacrificial life for Christ if you're not turning from your selfish ways. If you got, you got to get focused on Christ and, and get the focus off of yourself. The last of these barriers is the fear of surrendering our, our, our reputation. In verse 26, it says, If any of you is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. If we're unwilling to surrender, right? If we're trying to hang on to this life, our reputation here, how people view us here, you're going to lose the most important life eternally. Because it's not about here. It's not about now. Let me tell you, one of the things that I think is the most difficult is that fear of our reputation. That's the biggest blow to ourselves, our pride. That's the, the most humbling thing that we can encounter is to surrender our reputation. I don't want to look like an idiot right now. I don't want them to look at me like, like I don't, I don't want to feel awkward. I don't want to have this person, like, if I ask to pray for him, tell me no, make a scene, and everybody's looking at me, and, and it gets really 
like awkward. Because every, every single one of us, how many have had a moment where God has, has spoken to you, you feel him tugging on your heart, like you, you got to approach that person. You got to just talk with them. Like you, you got to pray for them. And instantly the first response is not, all oh, right, let's do it. The first response is, heck no, I don't want to go over there. What if, they, what if they say no? Like what if somebody sees me and then they call like 911 and, Say that I'm like assaulted. Like, we can think of any type of excuse for why we shouldn't do that. No, Holy Spirit, I shouldn't do that. That's crazy. Are we, are we afraid of risking our reputation? Because at the end of the day, when we come back and we think about the sacrifice of Christ for us, I mean, the fact that He was willing God, perfect, completely pure became man died on a cross was beaten by sinful men was spit at had his beard ripped from his face was beaten flogged whipped and nailed to a cross he who had no sin became sin so that I could become the righteousness of God And as he was looking out over the sea of those faces who just put him on that cross, all of the people who were wicked and hated him, he said, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. And I'm afraid to embarrass myself? Perspective. Perspective. Because when it comes down to it, he died so that I could be with him. Am I willing to do the same? If you want to be my follower, not just a fan. God isn't looking for admirers. There's plenty of people that admire who Jesus was. He's looking for followers. And if you want to be a follower, you got to take up your cross daily. Are you willing to have that sort of radical surrender in your life? Ending on a good note. On a high note, we're not talking about barriers now, right? Those are, those are important to recognize because those are things that can hinder relationship in our life. But when we look at the last point, is that real relationship, real relationship will see the kingdom of God. And I want to close with this tonight, and, and I want to take some time. Um, we've been taking time just to spend with the Lord in prayer and just praying for one another. I don't want to continue that this week as well. But verse 27 says, I tell you the truth. Some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Now there's, there's two interpretations here. First, Peter, James, and John. Right after this passage of Scripture would see Jesus transfigured. Would see an instance where light shining from heaven, a billow of smoke would envelop them. There would be this incredible experience and hearing the voice of God say, this is my son, listen to him. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, some standing right here, will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Some believe that that was 
a physical manifestation of the kingdom of God before those disciples. Another interpretation is that they saw the kingdom, the authority of the triumphant Messiah. Right? We talked about that word kingdom in our series on prayer and how that kingdom, that word kingdom could mean the literal kingdom of heaven, a a physical kingdom that's ruled by a, a, a king, but it could also mean royal power, kingship, dominion, or rule. Not to be confused with an actual kingdom, but rather the right or authority to rule over a kingdom. And that is in reference to the royal power of Jesus as the triumphant Messiah or of the royal power and dignity conferred on Christians in the Messiah's kingdom. Another interpretation of this is, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the authority of God in their life. Because I tell you what, real relationship with God. When we have real relationship with Him, it results in seeing not only just a manifestation of His kingdom, right? When we lay our hands on a person and see them healed, what is that? That's right now the natural conforming to the supernatural. That's the the Lord's Prayer when He says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you pray for someone, when you lay your hands on the sick and they are made well, that natural situation is conforming to the supernatural way that it is in heaven. And so each and every day as we walk in relationship with God, as we walk closely to Him, as we are led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to see the kingdom of God in your life. Why? Because it's a proof of that real relationship that you're going to be spoken to. The Holy Spirit's going to speak to you to say, go pray for that person. He might reveal intimate details about what that person is going through. He may fill you with the, the gift of faith where you're, you're so empowered, you're so filled with boldness that it doesn't matter who's coming against you, that you're going to declare the work of God. You're going to declare the glory of God to those around you. It doesn't matter who it is, where it is. You've been filled with the gift of faith. God may want to use you in the area of the miraculous. And he's going to lay people on your heart. He's going to fill you with that faith to lay your hands on the sick and to see them well. He's going to give you a spiritual discernment that you're able to recognize things about people that goes over the head of many other people. What real relationship shows up when you see the kingdom of God working in your life. When we experience real relationship with, uh, with God, we see the kingdom and we'll gain a deeper understanding of who God is. Don't you want to gain a deeper understanding of who God is? At that moment when they were standing with Jesus and he was being transfigured, when the glory of God was revealed, they now had a deeper understanding about the God in whom they served. 
And that it wasn't just a rabbi that they were following around, a good teacher. It wasn't just a person who had gathered a crowd together around him and did some pretty cool things. But they recognized that it was the son of the almighty God, that it was the Messiah who had revealed himself to them, that he was who he said he was. Do you want a deeper understanding of who God is in your life? Because let me tell you, if you have a deeper understanding of who God is, you're going to look at your situation, your circumstance. You're not going to be moved by it because you're going to recognize who's bigger than that situation. You're going to recognize that that situation bows its knee to the name that's above all names, that he's in control, that you don't have to worry because he's got your back because he is the king of kings. There's no situation that he can't handle. Do you want a deeper understanding of who God is? Well, let me tell you, it's found in the Word of God. I tell you, don't read your Bible like it's just a book. Don't read it for the stories. Don't read it for those things. Read it for the promises that it has for your life. Because if you actually begin walking out according to what the Word of God says about you, you'd be walking in victory beyond what you could imagine or even think. There are so many promises in Scripture that we just read at face value and we don't apply it to our own life. We don't think that God would actually step out and do what He's saying He would do in Scripture. We don't look at ourselves and view ourselves in His kingdom according to what the Word of God says about us. Do you want to gain a deeper understanding of God? I'll say it again, and I've said it before. You have as much of Him as you want. Right now, you have as much of Him as you want. And maybe tonight you're, you're just feeling the Holy Spirit convict you and drawing you. I want to know God deeper. I want to have a deeper understanding of who He is in my life. I want a real relationship that results in, in drawing closer to God and understanding who He is and knowing Him. Because Galatians says that you're known, that God knows you through and through do you want to know him do you want to know him more and how many would say I I desire I desire to have a deeper understanding of who God is not just to know about him but to have that result in in action to have that change the way that I live because if you actually begin to have a deeper understanding of who God is that understanding should result in in change in your life. If God is who he says he is, then then we we gotta spread the gospel. We gotta share the message of Christ because there's a lot of people who have no hope. There's a lot of people who are broken. There's a lot of people who don't know the love of Christ. And and how can I, knowing what I do about God, stay here and not share that with people? How can I keep that inside? How can I keep this freedom, this peace, this joy to myself? Do we want a deeper understanding? Who wants a deeper understanding of God in their life? When we see the kingdom of God, when, when we enter into real relationship, we're going to see the authority, His authority in our life. And we're going to see ourselves operating in His authority. 
And that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To move past just church, to move past religion, to move past just that form of tradition and religion and enter into a loving relationship with God. It is possible to hear the voice of God. It's possible to know when God's speaking to you. It's, it's possible to have an active and daily relation. Why would God call why would God call us to follow him daily, sacrifice daily, enter into a relationship daily if it wasn't possible? It's a possible thing to hear his voice, to have relationship daily with God. And sometimes I don't think that we recognize that. I think that we've we kind of imagine him as out there and when we need him he shows up kind of thing. But that's not God. Emmanuel, God with us. We just read scriptures from Galatians, Ephesians, Romans talking about how the spirit of Christ dwells in us. You can't get much closer than that. God is not some distant God. He's not far away. He's with you. And He's desiring daily relationship with each and every single one of us. And it's possible. It just comes when we're finally willing to give up the distractions, the noise, the comfort, the fear. And we say, God, I'm ready to radically surrender. I'm ready to radically surrender. We hope that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. If you would like to know more about 242, you can email Pastor Justin at jcorkum at manchesterassembly.org. You can also tweet us at 242NH. Again, that's T-W-O-42-N-H. Or on Facebook, you can look us up under 242 Young Adults. We look forward to your feedback, and we'll see you next time.